We're going to look tonight at a message uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Uh, The message is called, Truly the Light is Sweet, and it's right here in our text. Verse 7, Truly uh, the Light is Sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many, and all that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou, that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart, and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now thy Creator. In the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Truly, the light is sweet. The words of our text tonight were attributed to simply the one called the preacher, but historically, we wouldn't call the guy who wrote this a preacher. We'd call him king because that's what he was. He was King Solomon. Uh, But he, like all of the kings, uh, carried with him the anointing of God. And like many of the kings, not all, but like many of them, then Solomon was not only a king, uh, but he was a prophet. Now, Be careful, they could not be priests as well. The king position, position of king and the king of prophet was often combined, but only one was going to combine all three of those roles of spiritual leadership, and that was the Messiah. And that role was reserved exclusively unto him. Josiah was a good king, and he thought that he could... uh, assumed that role and uh, went into the temple and tried to act like a priest. God struck him with leprosy, and he was a leper until the day he died. That was not something that he was to claim for himself. But Solomon did assume that role of a prophet, and thus why he is referred to in the Old Testament as a preacher. And certainly he was filling that role when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was a man born to the one who was called a man after God's own heart. And that was King David himself. His mother was Bathsheba. Uh, David had one of the most infamous affairs in all of history with her. The first child that they had together died. So no doubt it was no small thing when God would say of Solomon in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24, David comforted Bathsheba's wife and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and that, that means peace. But the Lord loved him, and he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet... And he, and that is God, called his name Jedidiah. And Jedidiah means beloved of Jehovah. Beloved of Jehovah. 
So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. So Solomon began his life under rather difficult circumstances. We're not of his choosing. Great father. Mother, no doubt a beautiful woman. Their whole situation started out wrong. But aren't you glad that God could look down in love and call their baby beloved of Jehovah and give him assurance that the Lord loved for him? It wasn't long until God would give Solomon even more assurance because God would appear to Solomon in a dream. And he would tell him, though he was still in his youth, that he would give him whatever he asked for. And though just a child, Solomon asked for wisdom. And that greatly pleased the Lord. Now, we all know something about that. Of course, that request was not a surprise to God. And uh, being the pastor that I am and the Bible teacher that I am, I have to tell you that uh, there, there is a connection between God saying to Solomon... And I didn't maybe make this clear because I mentioned this a few weeks ago. There is a connection between God saying to Solomon, ask me whatever you want and what Solomon asked for. Uh, you know, there's something about being in the will of God and praying the will of God. Jesus told us that himself, uh, that whatsoever you shall ask in my name, it shall be given unto you. There's something about being in the spirit, there's something about being in the will of God that what we ask for is going to end up being what God wants to give us. And when that's going on, folk, we're on praying ground. What Solomon was going to ask for was not a surprise to God. Can you say amen to that? God knew. Ask me whatever you want. <laughs> well, God, what I really, really want is wisdom. I thought she was going to say that. <laughs> well, sure you're going to say that. And because he asked for that, though, God told him, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you all these other things that you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you fame and wealth. And do you realize tonight how much he needed wisdom if he was going to get those two? Wealth and fame. For God to have given him wealth and fame without wisdom would not have been a blessing. It would have been a curse. As for wisdom, that pleased God. So God gave him wealth and power. In his wisdom then, Solomon would lead Israel into times of incredible prosperity. So much so that the famous queen of Sheba would come to see him and hear him preach and listen to his words of wisdom because it was the wisdom of Solomon, even more so than his wealth, even more so than his power. It was the wisdom of Solomon that had spread around the world. And when she came and listened to him and she saw and she heard, she went away saying, the half has not been told me. I didn't hear the half of that story. A lot of things that we hear about, when we actually end up experiencing them for ourselves, they don't seem like much. We thought, we think, it. well, is that all there is? It wasn't that way with Solomon. 
She had heard about him, but what she had heard and what she had dreamed of, what she had anticipated in our mind, in her mind, what she thought she might hear, what she thought she might learn. Solomon exceeded all of her expectations. It's an incredible thing. God would use Solomon to build the magnificent temple of God in Jerusalem. David wanted to build it, his father. God wouldn't let him. He saw it was in his heart and he told David, David, it was good that it was in your heart, but you're not going to do it. Your hands are bloody. You're a man of blood and you're not going to build my temple. But your son will. And God kept that promise. When the shining glory of God, the Shekinah glory as we call it, filled that place, Solomon gave an incredible message in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 14. He said, Solomon, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. There is no God like you. Verse 18 then, Solomon expressed his perplexity. Will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? What a question, Solomon. Will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Oh, Solomon was thinking only about that temple. Because he said, behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. If we spread out the whole of the heavens, God, you wouldn't fit in all of that. How much less this puny little temple that I have built. Oh, Solomon was perplexed. But you and I could say to Solomon, Solomon, you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, you're like the queen of Sheba. You, you hadn't seen the half of this. Not only is God going to dwell in this temple, but the time will come when God will be in a virgin's womb. So that the God of all gods, the God that the heavens itself could not contain, and yet will he dwell with men? Oh, yes, he will. And John would say it perhaps so simply, but so eloquently. The word became flesh and dwelt. That's the word tabernacled, tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten father, full of grace and truth. So Solomon is praying in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, but he's also preaching. And he's crying out to God. Yet regard, he says, the prayer of your servant and his supplication, his prayer. O Lord, my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you. That your eyes may be open toward this temple day and night. Toward the place where you said you would put your name. That you may hear the prayer which your servant prays toward this place. Before Solomon would end this prayer, he would be praying one of the most famous prayers in the Old Testament. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. I mean, he was, that's all right here. This is part of God's answer to him. It's all there in this prayer and God's response. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1, when Solomon had finished praying then... Fire came down from heaven. Quite a service. 
consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This was Solomon. Born as Jedidiah, the beloved of the Lord, blessed by God mightily, given wisdom and power, used by God extraordinarily, led Israel in worship in amazing ways, dedicated the temple. And yet in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is given a sermon with a simple theme. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The word vanity means empty. What has happened? What has happened? Solomon, still a prophet, still filled with words of wisdom. And yet his heart opens up to reveal the sadness and the pain and the emptiness that had filled him. We ask what has happened. The Bible gives a very short answer. And I'm going to give it just like the Bible gives it. Solomon married a thousand women. Seven hundred princesses. That means that they were given full legal status as his wife. As wife, 700. <clears throat> and he also had another 300 women who were known as concubines. What that means in the Old Testament language was that they were a secondary wife. That meant that they did not have full legal status. In our vernacular, it would mean that they lived together, but they never married. Solomon never married them. 700 princesses, 300 others known as concubines. They were from everywhere. In 1 Kings chapter 11, where that story is told, uh, the long list of all of the countries, all the people groups that Solomon brought into his house. And many of them were people that God had strictly forbidden them. And in fact, that's mentioned in the text. That God had told them, you don't marry. You don't give your sons to their daughters. You don't take their daughters for your sons. You don't intermarry with these people. You don't give your daughters to them. You don't intermarry with them. Not at all. And it was not a racial thing. It was a religious thing. They worshipped other gods. God said, if you bring these into your family, if you give your daughters or your sons into their family, if you take them into your family, they'll lead you astray. That's what God told them. And it happened. Verse 4, 1 Kings chapter 11, it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. I don't have time tonight to read all of the book of Ecclesiastes. It is, in fact, a sermon that he was preaching. That's how he introduced it. But if you'll read that sermon, you'll hear his misery coming through very plainly. You'll hear his pain over and over and over again. And what he is painting over, what is hurting him, 
is the emptiness he feels in his soul. He gives you that from the very beginning. That's in his introduction uh, from, a, from a hermeneutical standpoint, somebody who teaches uh, sermonizing and how to make sermons, I can see it. Uh, this is what he, we would call his proposition. Uh, this is his initial statement. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I feel nothing but emptiness. Yet even so, <laughs> the words of our text here in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 speak powerfully truly the light is sweet and it is a pleasant thing for the eyes to behold the sun truly the light is sweet you see Solomon is talking about the days of, of light if you read this, if you combine it then with the book of Proverbs, you'll see over and over again the connection that was made between light and wisdom. And as Solomon looked back then at the days when he was walking in the light, he would say then in our text, truly, truly, the light is sweet. He would say amen to the Apostle John when he reminded us that when we walk with God, then we have fellowship one with another. Truly, the light is sweet. It is sweet to walk in fellowship with God. It is sweet uh, to walk with Jesus. Tis so sweet. It is sweet to walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. Solomon knew that. It's pleasant to walk in the light. But he also cautions us about the days of darkness. And the emptiness that is possible. You see, if it is possible to walk in the light and enjoy that sweet fellowship with God, it is also possible to walk in the darkness. Solomon is telling us tonight that we have a choice to make. The light is sweet. And the darkness... The darkness is empty. How's that one? The light is sweet, but the darkness is empty. It doesn't look empty. You know, that, that's the odd thing about it. It promises us so much. It promises pleasure. It promises prosperity. It, it it, it promises pleasant, but it is the light, Solomon says, that's pleasant. The darkness is, is empty, painfully, painfully empty. Interestingly, in the text, you know, Solomon frames his appeal primarily to the young. Solomon was an old man, he said. The Bible tells us when his heart was turned away from the Lord. We don't know how many years that Solomon had of walking in the light, but there came a, a time he began to make some bad choices. And along the way then, as he reaches the end of his life, those bad choices have come home to him. So he, he cautions young people. And uh, it's an interesting thing. As, as I've gotten older, I've begun to realize something uh, that... Uh, you never age on the inside. It's only on the outside. Um, 
On the inside, we always feel the same way. We're, we're, we're all still young on the inside. I'm, I'm learning more and more about that being young at heart. There's a part of us that, that really stays the same. I always used to tell my mama, I said, Mama, I don't mind getting older as long as I don't have to grow up. Anybody else feel that way? Just stay the same on the inside. So in a way, I I mentioned that only tonight to to remind us all that no matter what we are, where we are on our our driver's license or our birth certificate, no no matter what those numbers tell us tonight, there's still a part of us that's young and can be stupid. <laughs> and so he calls us, no offense, young folks, uh, really young people. Um, he cautions the young. He tells you very plainly, you know, you can walk in the ways of your heart. You can do whatever you want to do. You can go after everything you want to see or everything you want, everything you see that you want. You can go after everything that looks pleasurable to you. You can. I can. Everyone can. But Solomon cautions. For these things God will bring into judgment. And the judgment that he is talking about in this passage is not hell. Hell is for people who do not believe on Jesus. The judgment that he's talking about in this passage is not even the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for Christians uh, to determine our service for Jesus Christ and to determine our rewards and how much of our life will go up in smoke. Wood, hay, and stubble. Remember that passage? The judgment seat of Christ then is the rewards that are obtained for our service and what we did with what God gave us to do with. The judgment that Solomon speaks of in this passage is in our own lives, the here and now. It is the emptiness that comes when we leave the light of the Lord and dwell in the darkness. I've told you before, and I'll say it again tonight, that when we are saved, God does not take away from us the potential or the possibility of us sinning. He does, however, make it impossible for us to sin and enjoy it like a lost person does. Because the sin forfeits our fellowship with God and it leaves behind that awful emptiness that Solomon talks about in this passage. And so he says, listen to me, young people. I want to save you a lot of sorrow in your life. Put away sorrow from your life. How do you do that? Well, all I want is to be happy. Man, isn't that the mantra of our age? I just want to be happy. Oh, tell me how to be happy. I want to be happy. I, did I mention I want to be happy? I want to be happy. Tell me how to be happy. Solomon says, I'll tell you how to be happy. And this is somebody we ought to listen to. Because this is a guy who had it all. He had everything that money could buy. He had power. He had wealth. He had wisdom so that he could almost sit back and watch himself do these things. Let's see what's in this and let's see what's in that. I mean, it's all there in his sermon. Read Ecclesiastes. He tried it all. He had it all. And what does he tell us? If you want to be happy, I want to save you a lot of sorrow in your life. It's right there in verse 10. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. This is how you do it. 
I want to save you from the sorrow in life. Put away evil from your flesh. And instead, he says then, remember your creator. Isn't that an interesting choice of name for God at this point in time? Remember your creator in the days of your youth. I have Isaiah 45 and 9 for you tonight. Great passage. Uh, one we ought to put down in our hard drive and remember. Woe, Isaiah said unto him that striveth with his maker. Is that a word for America today? Woe unto him that strives with his maker. Let the potsherd, that, that's a, a, a pottery, piece of pottery. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashions it, why what makest thou or thy work? Well, he has no hands. God, God didn't make me. I've made myself. Woe unto him that strives with his maker. What a contrast with the words of Solomon. Remember your creator. Now I could stop here tonight and uh, we'd, have, we'd have had a pretty good message and a great warning for us all, but... Uh, thank God that the, the story of Solomon doesn't end with just the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, even though it remembers with a great, or ends with a great appeal, remember now thy creator in the days of your youth. But you know, Solomon is mentioned twice in the New Testament by our Lord Jesus himself. Let's see what Jesus then had to say about Solomon. Surely he's going to bring up all of his sins. Mm -mm -mm. You're going to bring up all them women? No, Jesus didn't say a word about that. Jesus mentioned Solomon, first of all, for his wisdom. He did that in Luke chapter 11 and verse 31. The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba. And what did he say? The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And he also mentioned his glory. Luke chapter 12 and verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Jesus talks about the wisdom of Solomon, which, by the way, he had given him. The glory of Solomon, which, by the way, he had given him. And then he uses that for what? As a testimony to himself. To the people of Israel, he could say, you know, a greater than Solomon is here. I mean, Solomon had his wealth, but there was a greater than Solomon. Solomon had his wisdom, uh, but, but there's a greater than Solomon. Solomon had glory, but there was a greater than Solomon. And while the queen of, the Sheba, of all, of, queen of Sheba of all people of all places from the ends of the earth would come to see Solomon, yet here was the one greater than Solomon standing right before them. They rejected him. But there'll come a day, Jesus said, when the queen of Sheba will stand up and condemn this generation. They're gonna, she's going to say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? 
I went all that way to see Solomon. But a greater than Solomon was there. Oh, people were all concerned about how they were going to dress themselves, how they were going to have all the things that they need, and yet there was the wisdom and testimony of Solomon. Uh, Consider the lily. The lilies of the field. Uh, What we would call a wild flower. And every time I see the wildflowers, and you see them in Arkansas, but I tell you what, drive across Missouri sometime in the spring and just go on a wildflower tour. I'm beginning to sound like my mama here. And that's, uh, you know, I love you, Mom. Mom loved the wildflowers. They'd drive everywhere just to see them, come back talking about them. <laughs> Mom would stop and dig them up and take them home. I tell you what, Mom, don't tell the law. She did it. <clears throat> I never see the wildflowers growing that I don't think about this passage. Solomon in all of his glory could not array himself the way that God arrays a wildflower. So where do we put our trust? Well, we put our trust in him. And of course the point is that at the end of it all, after all is played out and everything is coming along, it is the wisdom of Solomon and the glory of Solomon that became a testament then to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It is the glorious truth of the gospel that no matter how sin might deform us, the gospel will transform us ultimately into a testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, one day you and I are going to stand before this same Jesus, the same living Lord. And aren't you glad that we're going to be standing before the Lord who could talk about the wisdom of Solomon and the glory of Solomon? Why? And why is that going to be true of us? Because we're saved by the same grace that Solomon was. That transformed him then. It will transform us into a testimony To Jesus Christ. Remember what John said about walking in the light. If we say that we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. For every then blood bought born again child of God. We're assured that our testimony will be to the glory of Jesus Christ. You know the story of Horatio Spafford. I always loved that name, Horatio. I couldn't name any of my kids that. Nancy wouldn't let me in her great wisdom. Uh, Horatio didn't start with a K, of course, so it wouldn't work for us. Horatio Spafford, of course, wrote the great song, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And you've heard many times, I know, the story of how that uh, uh, his, his children, his daughters, were, were killed in a, in a, in a shipwreck. Uh, his wife was saved and uh, sent back a telegram from England that said saved alone. All that, all that really happened. That was, that's not a myth. It's not fake news. It, it really happened. Uh, did he really write the words that is well with my soul and proclaim them then, speak them? 
uh, in the North Atlantic when they came near to the place where the ship went down and where his daughters were in there. Yeah, yeah, he really, really, really did. He really did. Uh, but just think with me for a moment about that verse where he talked about his sins. My sin, he said. Oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, are nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. So that even at that moment in time, and I, I can't help, I'll have to talk to Horatio about it when I get to heaven. I, I can't help but wonder, you know, why, Horatio, were you thinking about your sins? Was he, you think maybe he had it in his mind that just for a moment it might have crossed his mind, you know, God is punishing me? Might, maybe, I don't know. All I know is what the song says. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It is well with my soul. Hope you can say that tonight. And you can if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. We see then a story tonight, the story of, of, the, of the sweetness of the light, how wonderful it is to walk in the light, how sweet our fellowship is with the Lord. But the darkness is there, but Solomon, I tell you, the darkness is empty, painfully empty. The joy is found in walking with Jesus. Let's stand together, please.